0: really strong we just lack inventory there's no shortage of buyers there's no shortage of of people coming into our area for work and the the entire real estate market is off only limited by inventory
1: the attempt to invoke loyalty uh to the president Over the scientific judgment of hurricane forecasters may seem trivial and overworked and not worth talking about but the president is not a monarch or a high priest Uh, when scientists can't stand up for their work without fear of being silenced when their supervisors can't stand up for their scientists work without fear of being fired uh, we risk entering some very dangerous territory that's chad schreiner and he is the president of marketplace
2: sotheby's international realty and Robert Siegel, retired host of NPR's All Things Considered. Now, Chad will be joining us in just a few moments, and he's going to talk about the latest in the real estate market in the Puget Sound region. I'm confused. Actually, prices seem to be stable, And I don't understand it with uh, what's been going on. But is it a buyer's market? Is it a seller's market? We'll talk to him about that. Like, what's it like in Everett? What's it like on the east side, Seattle, and various other places around Puget Sound? Robert Siegel talked at the Washington State Convention Center in the fall of 2019. He was a guest of the William D. Ruckelhaus Center. And he spoke about the role of journalism in America. I thought the speech was excellent then, and I thought it was very timely. Well, I even think it's more timely today because a lot has happened since that speech in September, and fast-forwarding to where we are now in May. I have the question of the day. Why are leaf blowers so loud? I just thought of that. We have some leaf blowing going on outside, and I'm just shocked how loud these machines are, and why can't they be more quiet? Anyhow, let's get back to what I was talking about today. My name is Paul Casey. And again, I'm the host and producer of this radio show called Voices of Experience. And uh, if you'd like to talk to me about anything you would like to hear on the show, you can call me at 206-459-5536. Back with Chad Schreiner in just a moment.
1: You're listening to Voices of Experience with Paul Casey. Visit VoicesofExperience.com and take a five-minute self-employment quiz. That's VoicesOfExperience.com. The higher you score on the quiz, the higher your prospects for success. One more time, visit VoicesOfExperience.com. All one word.
2: I think a subject that's very close to the heart of many people in this area right now and what we're going through is the real estate market. What does the real estate market look like right now in King County and the Puget Sound region currently, and then what will it look like going forward? I spoke with Chad Schreiner, and he is the president of Marketplace Sotheby's International Realty. They have offices in Redmond, Woodinville, and Bothell. My first question to Chad, how is the real estate market holding up?
0: Really strong. We just lack inventory. There's no shortage of buyers. There's no shortage of of people coming into our area for work. And the, the entire real estate market is off, only limited by inventory.
2: I find that incredible. Um, I've owned real estate in the Seattle area, primarily Seattle, for many years, and I thought I kind of knew what I was doing, or I could read the market. I'm glad to hear it's strong. Of course, there's buildings that are empty, and then Microsoft is saying they're not going to have their employees back for X amount of time, and then same with Amazon. But the real estate market is exploding. People are coming in and buying. It just doesn't add up for me. Am I missing something? Seattle's different.
0: Now, I'm out in the suburbs, I'm on the east side. I think we're seeing motivations change. It, where people were finding charm in, in downtown living with bars, restaurants, um, lockability, they're not finding that now and we're seeing them move to the suburbs. Seattle's still a bit of, I think, a mystery for all of us. It's gonna, it, it will remain strong just because of the job market and just how beautiful it is, but.
2: So, is this a good time to buy or sell or both? I guess in lack of inventory, it's probably a good time to sell
0: if you are thinking time about it, right? Sell. Yeah, great time to sell, great time to buy. It just depends on what your motivation is. There is a lot of uncertainty if you're an investor. depends on what your motivation is. At at, at our company, Marketplace Sotheby's International Realty, we're a lifestyle brand. We find that our, our buyers aren't necessarily looking for a price point, good deal, they're looking for a lifestyle. And that's what we try and provide. And I think this is the motivation going forward is, Where do you want to spend most of your time? You're not commuting like you used to. And I think that'll be a trend that continues.
2: You think that, you you think that impact will continue after this. Do do you have any idea of how much like 10%, 30%?
0: I have no idea. And I just, we're in so much uncertainty right now with our lockdown continuing on months on end. And what we're seeing now is they're getting, our clients are getting out of the smaller lots and they're buying exactly where they want to be, um, for new lifestyles so and we're seeing that on acreage we're seeing that on bigger lots maybe bigger homes a little bit further out uh because commute time right now and this is what we're finding with all of our clients is not a factor they're not they're not looking for a 20 or thirty minute commute to to work now they're they're looking to um, change their life
2: now i have a special interest question i live in west seattle and uh, that bridge is obviously yeah. a big concern. Looking at West Seattle, for example, I'm surprised that there's still a shortage of inventory there. And as of right now, it doesn't look like the market suffering too bad.
0: I hate putting it this way, but it couldn't be a better time to do construction on that West Seattle bridge because you don't need it. Um, and it's such a great community that you have such long-term residents that would never leave there. You have people looking to get into it because it's a great community. The West Seattle Bridge is just not a factor in anybody's mind right now so you're not being hurt in west seattle i think just us as a population we're resilient and it never is quite as bad as we think it is
2: you're saying it's a uh seller's market per se if you Mm -hmm. want to sell it's a good time to do that. What about a buyer? What would be your strategy now?
0: Depends on the price point. They're great rates right now. Um, You couldn't find a better time to buy. Uh, We'd love more inventory, but you've got to come in strong with a lot of uh, cash, a lot down, bigger earnest monies, and the willingness to accept flaws in in an inspection report or or a seller's disclosure report. Uh, People are willing to overlook a, a lot right now just because there's such a demand for anything that's moving ready on the market
2: advice for a seller now then
0: we have a very educated buyer that's walking through everybody's home and if you're overpriced you will still get shunned um you've got to come in competitive and with a competitive price on your property what we're seeing is is multiple offers being bid up you're looking to go at market rate right now hoping that it will go over and what we're seeing is it is uh you just I would never say bank on that strategy, but, but that's been the truth so far.
2: There's obviously communities are like hot spots like there is yeah. with this virus, right? Are there hot yeah. spots now that may be one that they're good values for people that may not have been before? Because you kinda said there's kind of a push out for acreage and more space. Yeah. Well, maybe that means that some homes will be opening up that don't have that and maybe those communities that people should look at.
0: Uh, I love Everett and I love the potential for, for growth in Everett. So if you're looking for a great lifestyle, number one, a great value in, in, in real estate, I, I think Everett's the next hot spot just to, to, to boom. It's just got the room, too. Snohomish County is just such a great buy right now.
2: How about other places, maybe?
0: On the east side where we are, our school district continues, our school districts continue to drive demand. So my office is located in Woodinville. I have one in Bothell, one in Redmond. And the demand there is just off the charts, both for lifestyle.
2: Interesting. Anywhere
0: else? There's, there's a lot of people that are, have shifted their focus to Tacoma and Federal Way area. The waterfront there is, is a great value.
2: That's Chad Schreiner, president of Marketplace Sotheby's International Realty, with offices in Woodinville, Redmond, and Bothell. If you would like to visit their website, you can go to msir.com. m as in Mary, S-I-R.com. I know the quality of that interview was a little shaky. I hope you got most of the information that Chad was talking about. It was recorded on Zoom, and just maybe there were a lot of other people calling and talking to people at that same time, too. Robert Siegel, National Public Radio's host of All Things Considered from 1987 until his retirement in 2018, addressed members and guests of the William D. Ruckelhaus Center located in Seattle. The center is a joint effort of Washington State University and the University of Washington. It was created to foster collaborative public policy in the state of Washington and the Pacific
1: Northwest. Robert Siegel's topic, The Role of Journalism in America. Uh, The core role of the news media in a democracy is, frankly, to keep an eye on government at the national, uh, state, and local level. Uh, If we don't question and report rigorously on what our elected and appointed officials are doing, uh, then we leave the field open to them to operate without scrutiny. Uh, While that's the core mission, the one that justifies uh, our explicit protection in the Constitution, it's probably the one that's most endangered uh, right now especially the executive branch of the federal government, and especially the leader of the executive branch of of the federal government, Uh, the declining fortunes of newspapers around the country uh, have diminished the numbers of reporters covering state houses and city halls, and that's a problem. A, uh, a vital role of the media in a democracy is to report on other centers of authority, whether they're economic, cultural, religious. Uh, how might we be affected by their actions, their decisions, their plans, uh, their choices of leadership? Sometimes, uh, Uh, these roles of the media are pursued through persistent uh, digging at truths that powerful uh, interests would rather not see made public or through leaked documents and and uh, off-the-record conversations sometimes they're pursued through probing interviews uh, that hold political civic business leaders to account Uh, by whatever means uh, stories that make powerful people and institutions answer the questions of ordinary citizens Uh, not for for partisan motives, but uh, through a deep commitment to openness, are stories that let you know uh, you're in a democracy. Likewise, stories that let people in authority know what ordinary people are thinking and saying uh, are also stories that let you know you're in a democracy. Uh, In undemocratic societies, including ones where I did some reporting, uh, such stories don't get published. And those who try to publish them uh, can find their lives Uh, made unpleasant or even untimely short one of the most important roles of the news media in a civil and democratic society is the role of i I think of it as translation Uh, different professions have their own jargons rich in meaning for people in the profession but mystifying uh, to those whose interest is only casual lawyers economists football coaches scientists uh, all have their specialized vocabularies and languages, it's a vital role of the media to translate uh, from those dialects into an understandable uh, common tongue. Uh, For those in the know, uh, a big question might be will the Fed raise interest rates by a quarter point or a half point or or not at all? Uh, To a great many Americans, the more fundamental story is what's the Fed Uh, and and why is it? Uh, The news media do some of their best and most useful work when they proceed From an often rather minor incremental development of the day, like a rate cut, to a definitional story that explains what our institutions are, how they operate, uh, and introduce us to some contrasting judgments, perhaps from informed observers. Uh, At a time when an angry populism is afoot, not just in this country, but in uh, Britain and much of Europe and other countries. Explaining complicated practices and institutions and translating their private languages into an accessible uh, uh, idiom is especially urgent uh, because people who are unaccustomed to the exercise of authority, people for whom government and uh, business are just uh, uh, celebrities on television, Such people are susceptible to all sorts of conspiracy theories about how decisions are made. Secret cabals of politicians, bureaucrats, and journalists are making stuff up, uh, thwarting the public will, imposing unwanted change on us, whether from Washington or from Wall Street or from Brussels. Uh, The news media can't eliminate all such conspiratorial thinking. But uh, when they expose both wrongdoing and also explain the way things are supposed to work, Uh, the media perform a vital role for democracy. Uh, A role of journalism is to provide a window on the world, to report from other countries, to help the American public make its own judgments about issues arising far away. Issues could be of war and peace, trade, climate change, challenges to human rights or to our national interests. It's also to report on science and culture. And again, that may require a fair amount of translation. Uh, it's also an extremely important role of the media uh, to observe and defend the borders between facts, opinions, and propaganda. And on that score, I don't think the media, and I'm especially thinking now of cable, are serving us especially well. Uh, the line between a news broadcast and a show for which the news is grist for talk uh, is becoming a line that is blurred and dotted at best. Uh, panels on uh, news and news talk show programs often mix reporters from the channel we're watching with reporters from newspapers, with former government officials, political consultants, political activists, academics, freely mixing uh, reported fact with opinion and speculation. And I wonder how many viewers of such discussions see a difference between the reporters who typically go to multiple sources uh, and pass the scrutiny of editors and fact-checkers to, to arrive at their work, uh, how many see a difference between those people and the others who are opining or expressing their, uh, uh, their own personal beefs? Uh, I fear that these mixed groupings make the reporters seem to a lot of ordinary viewers to be just another talker with just another tick. I'm, I'm all for panels full of opinionated people. I just wish the reporters would stay off of them. The uh, reverence for fact, by the way, is evident in a current dispute that I think strikes many people outside the media as petty and very narrow, but strikes me as being somewhere near the core of what, of, of what a civil society is and what democracy is. The attempt to invoke loyalty uh, to the president over the scientific judgment of hurricane forecasters may seem trivial and overworked and not worth talking about, but the president is not a monarch or a high priest. Uh, When scientists can't stand up for their work without fear of being silenced, when their supervisors can't stand up for their scientists' work without fear of being fired, uh, we risk entering some very dangerous territory. Um, I think uh, what complicates all of these roles and missions and. Is that the media are constantly changing? I used to think that the media used to be a certain way, and now it's different. And what I realize is that the what I thought was the old days of where I grew up in New York City—the newsstand with eight daily newspapers—and uh, uh, or later on the uh, the nightly network TV shows with Walter Cronkite or Huntley and Brinkley—that's not the way it used to be. That's a snapshot of the way a constantly changing media system is forever evolving. And right now it's it's evolving rather quickly. And uh, what can be self-evident to one generation that grew up on one set of uh, media institutions can be opaque and confusing to another. Uh, in this regard, I'll just conclude by uh, telling you the story of my parents who come to mind. They were they were avid newspaper readers uh, in New York City. My father was a school teacher who'd been trained to be a lawyer uh, and a admin- school administrator read the New York Times, but he also had a weak spot for the New York Herald Tribune, which was the the far more stylishly written broadsheet newspaper. My mother, who had trained to be an English teacher and worked as a school secretary, brought home the New York Post, which in those days was the the, uh, tabloid sized voice of New York City liberalism, especially ethnic groups uh, that voted liberal in a city that uh, defined much ethnically. Uh, The very funny writer Calvin Trillin uh, once uh, constructed, what he, uh, the satirical ultimate New York Post front page headline: "Snowstorm blankets New York; uh, Blacks and Jews suffer most." Uh, and, uh, and that kind of summed up the kind of summed up the attitude of the of the paper. Uh, when it came to newspapers, my parents were typically educated. Uh, sophisticated consumers in New York City, very typical of, of, uh, of, of their, their class, let's say. But to them, television news was something completely different. Uh, the local news channel they favored was the one that ended at 11 so they could go to sleep, uh, rather than the ones that went from 11 to 11.30, which were actually better shows. I thought that they had chosen the sleaziest news show in New York, uh, but it turned out that they really weren't very fussy about uh, standards when it came to television, Not not nearly so much as they were with newspapers. Uh, when I came back on home leave from London, where I was NPR's, I was the beginning of the NPR foreign staff and spent four years there. And when I came home, I mentioned to my parents, thinking that I was giving them some helpful guidance in their TV news viewing, uh, that I'd become friends in London with the ABC news anchor who was based there, Peter, the late uh, Peter Jennings. And I told him, he's a very solid reporter. He tries to do interesting, uh, honest work, and he's kept uh, his network, ABC, committed to Uh, foreign news coverage when it's dropping off the other networks. You know whom we really like, uh, said my father with his law degree and his two master's degrees and everything but a dissertation for a doctorate in education. You know who we really like? Alex Trebek. Um, I'll just add here that uh, while my parents were very proud of my career in public radio, when my name popped up twice on Jeopardy. Whether I don't know whether it was an answer, or a question, or an answer in the form of a question. Uh, it was a wonderful moment for my parents. Uh, uh, it probably worked out without my going to law school or medical school, I could say. And uh, uh, I regret that they couldn't live to see the day when, on the occasion of my retirement, I was an entire Jeopardy category. Um, <laughs> I say this as a matter of of, of modesty. It may be that I'm as baffled and confused, and and, uh, reading new digital media as strangely as my parents uh, saw television news. Uh, But I uh, welcome the opinion to to listen and learn, and above all, uh, to field your questions. So, thank you very much. Thank you.
2: Well, good afternoon, everyone. My name is Bruce Pinkleton. I'm Dean of the Edward R. Murrow College of Communication at Washington State University. There are a few uh, lesser known facts about Robert I'll mention. He's actually taken one of them. He has a deep appreciation for classical music, a wonderful sense of humor, and he's received the most coveted appreciations of all, uh, a cameo appearance on The Simpsons and his own category on Jeopardy, so. (laughs) Robert, the theme is the role of media in civil and democratic society. Yeah. We don't have a lot of time, so so let's get to it. Uh, in my experience, having been around journalism for a good portion of my life now, there's really no other topic that seems to generate more interest than media bias or, or unfairness in media. What's your perspective on media bias or fairness? Can
1: can a journalist ever be truly neutral or objective? Uh, in in your in one's personal life, no. Uh, in one's professional role, uh, one can be fair. And uh, uh, journalists, certainly those who spend their lives in the thick of public institutions, uh, develop opinions and, and views of what's going on and perhaps uh, uh, even uh, uh, partisan preferences. But that would describe my dentist as well. He, mm-hmm. he has he has very distinct uh, beliefs and opinions. Uh, they don't, I hope they don't figure in the way that he does dentistry. Uh, and, uh, and journalists who, who operate as reporters uh, and who uh, put their, their, uh, their work to the test of, uh, of, of good editing uh, do not simply do not let their, their personal uh, preferences into their work. That's Robert
2: Siegel, former host of NPR's All Things Considered, and then followed by a first question to Mr. Siegel from Bruce Pingleton, the dean of the Edward R. Murrow College of Communication, at Washington State University. If you'd like to touch base with the William D. Ruckelhaus Center, you can call 206-428-3021. That's 206-428-3021. That speech by Robert Siegel took place at the Washington Convention Center in September of 2019. I want to quickly play again an observation that Mr. Siegel made during that speech eight months ago. It was the foreshadowing of what was to come.
1: The attempt to invoke loyalty uh, to the president over the scientific judgment of hurricane forecasters may seem trivial and overworked and not worth talking about, but the president is not a monarch or a high priest. Uh, When scientists can't stand up for their work without fear of being silenced, when their supervisors can't stand up for their scientists' work without fear of being fired, uh, we risk entering some very dangerous territory. Trump incorrectly said that the hurricane
2: would hit Alabama. The National Weather Service immediately jumped in and said, no, Alabama would not be affected by the hurricane. In late August, some forecast models projected that Alabama could feel some effects of the hurricane, so Trump probably was using outdated projections. Any normal individual would have just said, okay, sorry about that. To the residents of Alabama, I'm so glad to learn that the hurricane will not affect you. Our focus should now be on the states that will be affected by the hurricane. But that scenario was and is impossible, because Trump is never wrong. Read Paul Krugman's column in the New York Times on May 26th. The column is titled, In Praise of Fallible Leaders. He expresses, much more eloquently than I, of the destruction of what Trump has done to this country, because he just can't say, I made a mistake, I was wrong. So what could have just been a minor gaffe, and no one really would have faulted him for that, turned into a media circus with Trump at the center of attention. He met with reporters and showed a map that clearly had been altered, with an arrow that looked like a five-year-old had drawn it. Directors of the National Oceanic and Atmosphere Administration were told not to contradict Trump or they would be fired. We risk entering some dangerous territory. About 90 days later, we entered that dangerous territory that Robert Siegel was warning us about. Trump was warned by scientists that the coronavirus was extremely dangerous in December and that steps should be taken immediately to contain the virus. Instead, he ignored the scientists, as he did with the National Weather Service, that the hurricane would not hit Alabama. Trump's war with scientists did not cause deaths with the hurricane, but with the virus, that changed. The numbers are staggering. We have just passed 100,000 deaths in the United States. The U.S. has 5% of the world's population, but over 30% of the cases. He downplayed the seriousness of the virus for almost three months. Columbia University reported that 36,000 people could have been saved if lockdown steps had been taken just one week earlier. He blames former President Obama for the pandemic and also my dog, Puff. But he takes no responsibility for gutting the Center for Disease Control and pushing top health experts aside. He talks of insurrection, liberate Michigan, and liberate Minnesota. What does that mean? You don't even have to read between the lines to know what he really wants. He won't wear a mask. Vanity is more important than lives. I could go on with his lies and about the distortions, but I will close. I'm tired of all this myself. The radio show has been a Trump-free zone for almost a year, and I plan on keeping it that way. We'll be back next week with subjects that are enlightening and with information that you can use. Like Chad did today, talking about the real estate market in Puget Sound. I've been critical of the media for their nonstop coverage of this reality TV show huckster, so I'm not going to imbibe myself. I believe that what would make him go over the edge would be to just ignore him. Why don't they just boycott those daily press briefings at the White House? That would be his worst nightmare. One more time, Mr. Robert Siegel.
1: The attempt to invoke loyalty uh, to the president over the scientific judgment of hurricane forecasters. may seem trivial and overworked and not worth talking about, but the president is not a monarch or a high priest. Uh, When scientists can't stand up for their work without fear of being silenced, when their supervisors can't stand up for their scientists' work without fear of being fired, uh, we risk entering some very dangerous territory.